Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, one of the things that I find fascinating to contemplate is the idea that when you think about it, virtually all freshwater fishes come into contact with some botanical materials throughout their existence. And I, of course, that's a little bit self-serving, but I was thinking about that the other day. In virtually every body of water, you'll find some sunken branches, tree trunks, leaves, roots, seed pods, etc., floating around or, or sunken out there. It's just the way things work in nature. It's something that fishes are completely familiar with. They've adapted over eons to coexist with and utilize these materials as hiding places, areas to forage, and sites to spawn among. Literally, they're a part of their daily existence, kind of like they're part of my daily existence, I guess. And when you think about it from this kind of standpoint, you can ask yourself another basic question about our hobby. What's the purpose in general of an aquascape in the aquarium, besides just the aesthetics? Well, it's to provide fishes with a comfortable environment that makes them feel at home, right? Exactly. So when was the last time you really looked into where your fishes live, or should I say how they live, in the habitats from which they come? Well, first off, unless you're talking about large ocean-going fishes or fishes that live in these like huge, enormous you know, schools like herring or smelt, fishes like structure. Structure provides a lot of things, namely protection, shade, food, and spawning or nesting areas. Yet the structure that we're talking about is not just rocks and wood in the context of aquariums. It can be plants, algae, twigs, pebbles, and botanicals, of course. Think about how fishes act in nature. They tend to be attracted to areas where food supplies are relatively abundant, requiring little in the way of energy expenditure in order to satisfy their nutritional needs. You know, places where insects, crustaceans, and yeah, tiny fishes tend to congregate and live around are things like floating plants, masses of algae, fallen botanical items, you know, seed pods, leaves, etc. So it's only natural that our subject fishes would be attracted to these areas. I mean, who wouldn't want to have an easy access to the buffet line and some of the protection that it affords, right? Another interesting phenomenon that pretty much any fisherman you know will tell you is that fishes like to gather under trees. Not only do trees provide a respite from bright light, they provide an opportunity to grab a meal again of insects, fruit, and other materials which might fall from the trees throughout the day. Are you sensing a theme here? By providing both food and shelter, the overhanging trees and the plants provide an interesting place for fishes to hang out in. So where does this leave us in terms of creating an aquascape for our fishes in the aquarium? Can we create systems which have both unique aesthetics and impressive function by utilizing botanicals and other materials? Of course we can. But how do we adapt this idea? Well, for one thing, we can look to nature to see just what it is that falls into the water. In many wild habitats, again, it's leaves, seed pods, branches, etc. All sorts of stuff. Stuff we're familiar with. And what about how these materials are oriented in the water after they fall? For example, when a tree branch falls into the water, gravity, current, wind, etc., etc., influence how it lays on the bottom of the stream. Oftentimes in in shallow streams, the branch extends partially out of the water, kind of like what we see in aquascaping, right? Yet a little bit less contrived, I suppose. As aquarists, we put an amazing amount of time into trying to achieve a perfect, you know, placement for our wood, when the reality is that in nature, it's decidedly random. And is there not some beauty in randomness, despite our, you know, relentless pursuit of the golden ratio and all that kind of stuff? 
Just because last year's Big Aquascaping Contest winner had the perfect orientation, the ratios, and the alignment of wood and stones within the tank doesn't mean it's a real representation of the natural functionality of randomness. When you think about how materials get around in the wild aquatic habitats, there's a few factors which influence both the accumulation and distribution of them. In many tropical streams, the water depth and the intensity of the flow changes during periods of rain and runoff, and that creates significant redistribution of the materials which accumulate on the bottom, again, leaves, seed pods, and such. The larger, more hefty materials, like submerged logs, will tend to move out less frequently, and in many instances, they'll remain stationary, providing a physical diversion of water uh, you know, as substrate materials accumulate around them, a sort of dam, if you will. And this creates known structures within streams in areas like Amazonia, which are known to have existed for many, many years. Semi-permanent aquatic features within the streams, which influence not only the physical and chemical environment, but the very habits, distribution, and abundance of the fishes which will rise, you know, uh, reside there. Now, many of the small materials, like the branches and the seed pods and leaves, tend to move around quite a bit before they ultimately settle and accumulate in a specific area. One might say that the material changes created by the movement of materials can have significant implications for the fishes because, again, they follow the food, often existing in and subsisting off what they can find in these areas. Again and again, we come back to this thing because, again and again, it's so important. Now, in the case of our aquariums, this redistribution of materials can create interesting opportunities to not only switch up the aesthetics of our tanks, but to provide new and unique little physical areas for many of the fishes that we keep, so-called microhabitats that facilitate, you know, interesting behaviors and habits in our fishes while supporting their grazing and spawning activities. And as you suspect, the benthic microfauna, which our fishes tend to feed on, are also affected by this phenomenon. They go where their food sources are, too. And the fishes, of course, follow the food, making this the case of the fishes learning, I guess I use that with a question mark, to adapt to a changing environment. And perhaps, maybe, the idea of fishes having to constantly adjust to a changing physical environment could be some sort of trigger hidden deep in their genetic code that perhaps stimulates overall health, immunity, or spawning behaviors. Something in their programming that says, yeah, you're home perhaps triggering those specific adaptations and behaviors. I find that possibility fascinating because we can perhaps learn about our fish's behaviors and what it might be that triggers them right in the comfort of their own aquarium and in our own home. And of course, we can create really interesting physical and chemical environments for them by simply adding, what, botanicals to our aquariums and allowing them to do their thing, you know, redistributing throughout the aquarium as they decompose or move about as we change the water or conduct maintenance activities or adding new pieces from time to time. Again, much like what happens in nature. This interaction between terrestrial elements, i.e. botanicals and such, and the aquatic ones is really interesting because it presents unique opportunities to observe how these familiar, at least to the fishes, combinations of materials foster these behaviors in the aquariums. It's something that we've already had some practice with in our world, right? Allowing terrestrial leaves to accumulate naturally among the tree root structure that we've created, for example, fosters this more natural functioning environment. As the leaves begin to soften and ultimately break down, they'll foster microbial growth, biofilms, and fungal growths, all of which provide supplemental foods for the resident fishes. Again, just like what happens in nature. I say this over and over and over again because it's so fundamental to this concept. Taking a more functional approach to creating our aquariums and their aquascapes is something that I think we need to spend a little more mental capital on. The typical aquarium hardscape, artistic and beautiful though it might be, generally replicates the most superficial aspects of such habitats and tends to overlook their function and the reasons why such habitats form in the first place. And when I see these really beautiful aquascapes, I'm almost always thinking to myself, damn, they're so close to being able to recreate something really natural here. 
Like if I had one of these tanks, I would literally take every bit of resistance I can offer to avoid tossing in leaves and you know botanicals and stuff into all those little nooks and crannies that are formed where the substrate, stones, and roots meet. Purely aesthetic escapes to me are like, I don't know, missed opportunities to learn more about these fascinating microhabits. So it's, you know, habitats built in nature and in the aquarium. And the real blurring of the lines, as we like to say, between nature and aquarium is already underway. We've come pretty far challenging ourselves as a community, and now we're definitely ready for a move to the next level of natural botanical style aquariums. Aquariums that, by virtue of the unique materials they utilize and the habitats they try to replicate, look and function in a radically different manner than those we've worked with before. The canvas is blank here. Simple iterations to aquascaping configurations that we've played with for decades can unlock many potential breakthroughs. And it all starts with embracing the concept of functional aesthetics when we create our aquariums. By providing functionally aesthetic aquariums, we're really setting the stage for what I feel will be the ultimate evolution of aquarium keeping. Creating aquariums which replicate as realistically as possible the look and function of the habitats that we're fascinated by. It's a fun and fascinating journey that will not only yield greater understanding of our fishes, but about the precious and fascinating environments from which they come from. And a greater appreciation for the function and vulnerabilities of these wild ecosystems means that we'll be in a better position than ever as aquarists to call attention to the perils that they face. And when we inspire non-aquarists to understand and learn more about this stuff, the planet wins. Take the time to go beyond the sexy look. Because you'll find that the function is every bit as fascinating and inspiring as those unique aesthetics are. Stay creative. Stay bold. Stay inquisitive. Stay diligent. Stay patient. Stay observant. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Ten and Aquatics. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Ten.